Good morning, New Life Downtown. It's good to see you this morning. If you're watching online today, uh, we had some live stream problems last week. Our system crashed. We're so sorry about that. Hoping everything is working today as you watch online. If you are new or newer today, we welcome you to New Life Downtown. My name is Jason Jackson, and we just are so grateful that you're here today. New Life Downtown is one of the eight congregations of New Life Church here in the city of Colorado Springs and across uh, the Pikes Peak region. We have a congregation in Manitou as well. Our mission as a church is to make disciples across this region by calling people to worship and to connect and to serve together. As a church, we are uh, a non-denominational, charismatic church that's deeply rooted in the historic practices of the church, and you'll encounter a mix of all of that today uh, in our service. We'd love to get to know a little bit about you and to meet you. If you're new, you can scan this QR code here on the screen and fill out the guest card. Stop by the Welcome Center after service. We have a gift for you. And today is one of the days that we have what we call New Life Next. It's a lunch that we have for anyone who's new or newer or been hanging around for a while and wants to know more about New Life Downtown. We'd love for you to join us for lunch today. It's immediately after service, a block uh, north and a block west at the corner of Boulder and Tejon. We have a little storefront there. It's called the Commons. We'd love for you to join us right after service. Free lunch uh, and a conversation about who is New Life Downtown and how to get involved and a time to meet you and to answer whatever questions that you have. So I'd love for you to join me there today. Uh, if you've been following along in the news, uh, you saw the tragedy of what happened in Morocco uh, yesterday. So a massive earthquake hit Morocco at this point this morning. Uh, approximately 2,000 people have lost their lives, another 1,500 uh, critically injured, and they're expecting those numbers to increase drastically uh, as the relief efforts are going on. And you know that today is uh, September 10th. So tomorrow, September 11th, is the 22nd anniversary of our, one of our huge national tragedies, one of the darkest moments uh, in our nation's history. And when you're dealing with those kinds of events in the world, both the recent and present tragedy and crisis that's happening in Morocco and the historic memory and crisis of 9-11 and all that it meant for those who are living in New York and in D.C., all of those who are living around uh, our country and all of those who ended up uh, in war as a result of all of those, um, those events and the kind of compounded impact of that. It's difficult to know what to pray in those moments. And so one of the things that the people of God practice in moments when we just aren't sure what to pray is a moment of silence where we sit before Jesus and we ask him to pray on our behalf. We ask the Holy Spirit to give articulation to our groans, to our pain, to our mourning, to our concerns. And so today we wanna to take just a moment to uh, sit in silence before the Lord, to ask him to move in Morocco and ask him to continue to bring healing to all of the pain that uh, has reverberated since 9-11. So let's take a moment just to sit in silence together and to hold Morocco and 9-11 before Jesus.
In both of these events, natural disasters and the consequences of human atrocities, human evil, remind us just how desperately we need the kingdom to come. I desperately need Jesus to come and to establish his kingdom here on the earth. So we start our service today praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, asking him once again for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. Let's join together in the Lord's Prayer. The words are on the screen here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship our coming King together. Jesus, come. Spirit of God, come. Meet us today. Come on, put your hands together with me. Good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, isn't it? Let me try that again. Good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, amen? Come on, let's sing together. Lay down my rights. Lay down my
body. Amen. Amen. David says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And we think, amen, amen. When we think of glory, we think of honor, magnificence, and overwhelming beauty, right? And when we think of God's glory, we see the magnificence, worth, loveliness, and grandeur of his many perfections. God's glory is a gift to behold, a treasure to experience. The scripture continues on and says, who is the king of glory? The Lord God, strong and mighty, the Lord God, mighty in battle. Amen. The earth belongs to the Lord. The entire earth is filled with the glory of God. And it's beyond beautiful. So as we sing this song today, let's behold the glory of our Lord. He's holy. He's worthy. And we are in awe of him. Amen.
Whenever we sing that song, it, um, I, I can't help but think, but this is the song of two realms. This is the song of heaven, and it's the song of earth. And at some point, it'll be the song of one, new heaven and new earth brought together, all singing together, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. And I think because it's the song of two realms, it feels thin when we sing it. The Celtic Christianity describes thin places or thin moments where that veil between heaven and earth gets really thin. We can sense the very presence of God. So in this moment, in this thin place, in your presence, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we proclaim with the heavens and we proclaim with the nations and we proclaim with the whole earth we proclaim with the people of God throughout space and time. We proclaim together with one voice, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are filled with your glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Let us behold your glory today together. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated in New Life downtown. I want to invite Vaughn and Isabel Heckman to come up here with me today. Many of you know Vaughn and Isabel. They've been a part of New Life downtown for a long, long, long time. I can't even remember how long. I think before I got here, I, maybe seven, seven or eight years. Yeah, so pre-me pre uh, arriving. Vaughn and Isabel help lead the School of Strategic Ministry at the YWAM base here in Colorado Springs. And they have an opportunity to go and take some of their experience and knowledge and expertise uh, to another base for a short period of time. So they're gonna be heading out from here uh, to go and suffer for Jesus in Hawaii uh, for a little while and help with the YWAM base there, which I've been told is the most popular YWAM base that there is. I don't know if that's, if that's true or not, but I want them to tell you a little bit about what they've been doing, what they're going to do, and then we want to pray over them as a congregation. Thank you. 
It's been a privilege and pleasure, of course, to be with you and to have a time like this uh, just to share a little bit. About 38 years ago, it's a long time ago, we said yes to God, not realizing that it would take us into a lot of different places around the world uh, doing mission and training and multiplying the kingdom of God. And so here's another opportunity uh, to do so. And this one will be a little bit easier than our previous uh, deployments to places like Afghanistan, Pakistan, and other locations. So um, when you say yes to God, God it will write you into his story wherever that might take you. But uh, it's a privilege to be a part of that story. God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Part of the invitation of what we'll be doing this fall, uh, the University of the Nations is YWAM's university, so we're expecting about 1,000 students and staff to show up this fall quarter. We've been invited to work with a community development school. So this is a secondary school. It is focused on building community, working with people, bringing equality to families around the world. Many of these schools are international schools. And so we're taking this school through an update process. It's been a few years since the curriculum has been updated. So as we look around the world and see what God is doing and see some of our struggles and poverty, we're looking to update this curriculum for the next few years. So Isabel and I will be working on a, the master's level program of this course um, we'll be back December 22nd. And uh, just a very exciting thing. So if you could draw the connection to community development, oftentimes we think of po the poor or poverty as people who lack things, right? But if we think of poverty as a spiritual problem where people's relationships with God is broken, their relationships with their community is broken, and their relationships within their environment are broken, that is entrenched poverty. And people have a marred identity, have lost vocation, and they don't know where they fit into God's story. So part of this school is to help people find uh, that place of drawing community into the purpose of, purposes of God, the kingdom of God, for their community. So we're very excited to be a part of this uh, time and this season. It is a privilege to be there. And uh, just wanted to also mention as we pray for us to, to go out there for a few months uh, Hawaii, yes, it's, it's nice. Uh, it'll be very busy, actually. So uh, it's a bit of a tease to be so close and yet so far away. Um, but anyway, we appreciate your prayers. But also, we do have a long-term team in Marrakesh. We checked in with them this week, so they're all okay. Uh, they're trying to figure out a response in, in their location in Marrakesh where the earthquake has just happened. So over 2,000 dead. It was a big one. So you could be praying for that team. And then also for our founder, Lauren Cunningham, has had a long illness with uh, terminal cancer. And they gave him a few weeks to live, and that was about nine months ago. So he's beating the odds, but uh, starting to diminish now and getting weaker and tired. So uh, we could be praying for him as he passes into glory. Would you stretch out your hands toward the Heckmans and let's pray over them. And Father, we thank you for the work of YOM around the world. Thank you for Lauren and the vision that you gave him and for all of the ways that YOM has served in your name across the world. We are so grateful for their witness. We pray that you will be with Lauren and his family during these moments. May the comfort and the peace and the healing of God be near to him and to all those close to him. We pray for the team in Marrakesh as they are coming alongside those who are grieving inexplicable kinds of loss. Would you help them? Would you strengthen them? 
as they come alongside to strengthen others, would, you, would your hand be upon them as their hands come to serve other people in your name? And would your hand be upon Vaughn and Isabel? We are so grateful for them. We're grateful for their witness to you, Jesus, their witness to the nations and their witness right here at home in our congregation for the many faithful ways that they have served and said yes to the nations and to the local church here at home and to friendships, to their family, to all of the ways that they are following the very voice of Jesus. And as you now send them on to another assignment, we ask that you would strengthen them with everything that they need. Thank you for the work that you've given them to do. Thank you for their heart for their nations. Thank you for their heart for those who find themselves in cycles of poverty. Thank you for the, their heart for community and for restoration, for the reconciliation of people's relationships with you and with one another and their community and the world around them. Give them new wisdom and new insights. Strengthen them in every way. And may their words, may their wisdom, may their teaching move the hearts of those that you're sending out into the nations with new and creative ideas of how to bring the kingdom of God into the neighborhoods of the worlds. May it be, Jesus. Would you be with them and their family as they are distant for a little while? Would you grace them for all that they need and bring them back home safely here at Christmas time? Would you bless them and keep them? Would you make your face shine on them and be gracious to them? Would you turn your face toward them and give them peace? We send them out in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Love you guys. I want to bring Pastor Jay up. The mission of God is not only in the nations, but even in our own neighborhood. And one of the ways that we partner uh, with what God's doing here in our city is through Alpha. So here's Pastor Jay. Hello, everybody. Um, we are, a week from this Tuesday, going to be starting our 22nd Alpha course here at New Life Downtown. Yes, that is quite amazing. It takes about 20 Alpha courses to figure out what you're doing. So we have done two now, know, or we're about to start a second knowing what we're doing. I want to share a quick story. Uh, this was from a few years ago, actually, uh, a guy named Chris. And just before I share this, just any stories we share about Alpha from up here, I want to assure you we've gotten full permission to share uh, from these people. So uh, Chris, um, this was a few years ago. His father passed away. Um, and in coping with his father's death, he um, turned to alcohol and other substances to just kind of cope with the pain um, he said so that he wouldn't hurt anybody else, but he realized that doing this caused a lot of damage to other people, ironically. And so um, he had turned, and one night he was just out driving around. He said, I was just out burning gas, uh, and I passed a sign for Alpha. And I don't know if you guys know this, but Bear Grylls is a huge uh, promoter of Alpha. He's had uh, an Alpha impact in his life, and so he promotes Alpha. And the sign was of Bear Grylls and the Alpha logo, and it said, the greatest adventure of my life. And he, he said, Chris said, my response was wicked. Like, I want that. <laughs> that sounds awesome. So he uh, went to the church that um, Alpha sign was out and he heard about Alpha and he ended up going on a Wednesday night to this Alpha course. Um, and while he was there over the course of uh, 11 weeks at this church, um, the Lord changed his heart and he became a Christian um, and he said afterwards, he was asked all the time by his friends. He said, what, what did you do? What have you done differently? There's something different about you. And he said, my answer was always the same. He said, all I did was open myself up to God and he did the rest. 
He said, finding God through Alpha has given me, given my life purpose and meaning. And I think that that is amazing. And I think that hits a lot of people maybe here in this room and maybe outside, neighbors, friends, family, coworkers. So I want to encourage you, if you are wrestling or struggling with purpose and meaning, uh, come to Alpha. September 19th, it's a week from this Tuesday. We meet at the Commons, which is just a couple blocks over there by the Wild Goose. Um, and we would love to host you. And if you know someone, a neighbor, a friend who's maybe lonely or new to the neighborhood looking for community, or you just know that they're wrestling with purpose and meaning and all of that, invite them to come with you. Uh, say, hey, it's a free meal. Uh, will you come try this alpha thing with me and come on Tuesday nights? Um, so that's going to start September 19th. Um, we're going to turn now to the giving of our tithes and our offerings, uh, giving back to the Lord, uh, just a portion of what he's graciously given to us. The ways to do that will be on the screen here in just a second. There they are. Um, and I also just want to say thank you again for your generosity towards Alpha. Each time we give these Alpha promotions, I also follow it up by an ask to give over and above your, your tithes and offerings to fund these Alpha courses that we do three times a year. Uh, last week, I said we were $4,000 away from our goal. This week, we are $2,000 away from our goal. So thank you guys so much for your generosity. Uh, our goal is $35,000, and then anything that comes in, in above that, we're going to give to our friends in Albania who are also running Alpha courses over there. Um, um, so if you would like to give online or uh, through the app, we select or we ask that you select New Life Downtown in the drop-down menu. But if you want to give to Alpha as well, there's in that same drop-down menu an Alpha designated give. So as we give of our tithes and offerings, we're going to turn uh, towards the word of the Lord and hearing from the scriptures. So take a second, just quiet your heart as we do that. Hello. My name is Annalise. The Old Testament reading is found in 1 Kings 3, 9 through 10. Please give your servant a discerning mind in order to govern your people and to distinguish good from evil because no one is able to govern this important people of yours without your help. It pleased the Lord that Solomon made this request, the word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Paula, and our New Testament reading is found in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. My brothers and sisters, think of the various tests you encounter as occasions for joy. After all, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let this endurance complete its work so that you may be fully mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. But anyone who needs wisdom should ask God, whose very nature is to give to everyone without a second thought, without keeping score. Wisdom will certainly be given to those who ask the word of the Lord. Hello, my name is David. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house. It didn't fall because it was firmly set on bedrock. But everybody who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice will be like a fool who built a house on sand. The rain fell, 
the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house. It fell and was completely destroyed. The gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we long to be wise. Would you help us to hear the very voice of God and to follow in the way of Jesus, to not only hear, but then to learn how to live. Would you teach us to live and to walk and to move, to have our very being in the wisdom of God. Help us today, we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you this morning. Good to be with you. Some of you, um, if you're newer, newer, I want to give a quick uh, family update that a lot of uh, folks will be familiar with. About a little over six weeks ago, our daughter, our oldest daughter, Cora, went into the hospital uh, with an appendicitis that had abscessed. And we spent the last six weeks mainly in the hospital, 33 total days, uh, as she went through various procedures to uh, remove infection and the appendix and remove a bowel obstruction and a number of other things that were complications um, from her appendicitis. But last Wednesday, so just a few days ago, we were finally able to all come home. Um, so, yes. I'm so grateful. It was, um, I can't, I mean, this walking out of the hospital altogether after those long six weeks, um, I couldn't help but just crying with a smile on my face. Those, uh, that mixture of uh, grief and joy and um, lament for all that has happened over the last six weeks and just the anticipation and excitement about all being together under one roof again. Sarah, my wife, and Cora are still home today. She's still recovering, still uh, dealing with some pain, still gaining back strength and all those things, but hopefully uh, they'll be able to be back here uh, next week in worship with all of us. Uh, but thank you again for praying. Thank you for walking this journey with us. Thank you for holding us uh, in your prayers, for holding us up before the Lord. Somebody asked me this morning, uh, really over the last couple of days, like, how do you feel kind of at the end of all of this? For those of you who've walked through similar things, I've gotten to hear so many stories from some of you, some that I knew and some that I didn't know of your own journeys of long hospitalizations or long periods of suffering. And when those moments come to an end, there is a profound sense of relief profound sense of gratitude, a profound sense of joy, and also an overwhelming sense of weariness. Uh, as it turns out, we weren't supposed to live on adrenaline alone, uh, but we come to a place. So I think we're all hitting that adrenaline crash uh, right now and feeling the weariness of uh, all that we've walked through during this time. And yet I'm reminded of a morning like this that Jesus' very words said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And I, I feel like in this season, we're just learning what that means again, learning what it means once more to come to Jesus in the midst of our weariness. And for all of us, if we're honest, we're coming to God every single Sunday with some amount of weariness. Either it's the weariness that comes from a long season of disappointment, a weariness that comes from chronic suffering, a weariness that comes from uh, unfulfilled expectations, a weariness that comes from a darkness that just doesn't seem to dissipate, a weariness that comes from our jobs or from parenting or for dealing with roommates, a weariness that comes from being a Broncos fan. I mean, there's so many other things that uh, that could be there. Was that too soon? I got some booze for that one. 
Wow, I can't say, I was hoping before the first game of the season I could make a joke and it would be okay. Um, but I, I guess not. Maybe it's just a weariness from being a, a Minnesota Twins baseball fan. Um, that's its own weariness. Um, but we're invited every week to come back here to the word and to the table and to encounter Jesus once again and ask him to meet us in our weariness. So I come to the text today uh, asking God with you, God, would you meet us? in our weariness? Would you meet us in our need? Would you meet us in our lack as we come to the text again? We're in week three in our series through First Kings, a series we've entitled Kings and Kingdoms. Uh, we're getting a lot of echo, aren't we, today? Is that just me back here? No? Okay, I'm just going to keep going. Uh, First and Second Kings are an account of Israel's monarchy from the uh, transition from David to Solomon through the division of the kingdom from one into two to the fall of the northern kingdom, the exile of the southern kingdom. We've said throughout this series that when we look at a book like First Kings, its accounts are really raw. Its assessments are theological rather than political. It's a different kind of read for us. Israel's kings are evaluated throughout these books by their faithfulness to Yahweh. Some receive a favorable judgment, but even those that receive a favorable word have their own flaws and failures and moments of mishap and misunderstanding. Most of the kings, though, do what's evil in the eyes of God and follow in the way of the nations. When we zoom in to this book, we look at it like, this is disheartening. There are account after account, story after story, disturbing tales of of the people of God's faithlessness. We watched recently uh, the movie Spies in Disguise. It's like an old animated Will Smith movie. And like the one redeeming part about the whole movie was there was one line where one of the characters says, that's dark, lovey. And when I look at King, I like read this book, it's like, that's dark, lovey. This is like dark over and over and over again. But when we zoom out, when we look at the larger story of kings and the larger story of scripture, what we find is that in the midst of human faithlessness, we encounter a God who's faithful. And that culminates in the coming of King Jesus, God coming to be king in a way that none of these kings were ever able to. Last week, we looked at Solomon's rise, his ascension to the throne. And today, we're going to look at Solomon's first acts as a king. And what we find at the very beginning of Solomon's account are the contradictions that mark his career. Solomon is known as the wise king, as the fountainhead of Israel's wisdom tradition. He's the one who's credited with writing most of the book of Proverbs. He's considered the wisest person that ever lived. And yet what we read throughout his entire story is that the fountainhead of wisdom is the one who fails to be wise. The king credited with most of the Proverbs dies a fool. And his, his failures are foreshadowed in this opening chapter about his reign. In First uh, Kings chapter 3, verse 1, it reads this. It says, Solomon, right after he becomes king, became the son-in-law of Pharaoh became the son-in-law of Egypt's king. When he married Pharaoh's daughter, he brought her to David's city until he finished building his royal palace and the Lord's temple and the wall around Jerusalem. Unfortunately, the people were sacrificing at the shrines because a temple had not yet been built for the Lord's name in those days. And now Solomon, who loved to walk in the laws of his father David, with this exception, he also sacrificed and burned incense at these shrines. So we see 
two things here that become very indicative about Solomon's life. First, he takes a wife, one of many that he's going to take. And the first one that he takes is Pharaoh's daughter. This is significant because Pharaoh is the epitome of what a king of the nations look like. looks like. Pharaoh is the antithesis of everything that God longs for in a king. It's the antithesis of everything that we read in the scriptures about God's heart to love and govern and to serve. Pharaoh is the opposite of that. And not only is the opposite, Pharaoh is the representa- representation of Israel's oppression, of the one whom Israel's been rescued from. Pharaoh is the great evil. <laughs> he is the one who enslaved God's people. God rescued them from Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And here Solomon takes the throne and immediately enters into a political alliance with Egypt. And he begins to reign in ways that trust his alliances with the nations rather than trusting in the way of God. Immediately we see this hint that Solomon's trust is divided, that he will be tempted throughout his entire career to reign like Pharaoh rather than to reign like God. And the voice of Pharaoh is in his very household through his daughter. The second thing that we see is that Solomon's worshiping at shrines or in other translations at high places. The very places that Israel was supposed to dismantle, the places where the nations had worshiped, they moved into land and were told to dismantle all of them. And Solomon worships at them. The original language says that Solomon loved Yahweh, loved the Lord, walking in the ways of his father David except in this way, except in worshiping at these other places in ways that would be deviant from the way that God wanted to be worshiped. And both of these things foreshadow what we read at the end of Solomon's reign. 1 Kings 11.3, he had 700 royal wives and 300 secondary wives or concubines, and they turned his heart. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and he wasn't committed to the Lord his God with all his heart, as was his father David. The end of this wise king reign ends with these words that his heart was turned. And his heart was not completely aligned with God. His whole heart wasn't committed. In the original language, it said his, whole, his heart was not whole with God. It's the word that comes from the word shalom or the word peace. His heart was not total. It wasn't complete. It wasn't full. It wasn't flourishing. His heart had been turned away, and therefore it was torn away. It was torn. It was divided. His heart was no longer whole. And I wonder how many times that's the story, not just of Solomon, but of our lives. There are things that turn our heart away from God. And in that turning away from God, it's not just a turning, it's a tearing. Something inside of us breaks. Something inside of us separates. Something inside of us divides. And the whole heart that God wants us to live with becomes broken or divided in some way. And the peace that God longs to bring us, the flourishing that he longs to bring us is not present because our heart has been turned away from God by something or in some way. And this text invites us to ask ourselves, what are the things in our own lives that turn our hearts away from him? 
Where are we tempted to turn away? And how are those things dividing or fracturing our own hearts and our own souls, tearing our allegiance? The word heart in the Old Testament, heart obviously refers to the organ that you know, pumps our blood through our bodies. But the word heart in the Old Testament also refers to our affections, our love, the center of the place in which we love. But it not only represents that, in the Hebrew mindset, heart also is the center of our will or affection, or our will or action, the very place upon which we act. And it's the center of our perception or our insight, which is why it's often translated mind in English. The word heart gets translated as mind into various passages, but the heart is what's associated with wisdom over and over again in the Old Testament. It's a wise heart, a call to be wise at heart. First, and thir- First Kings 3 and 4 give us two vivid pictures of what a wise heart looks like, the heart that Solomon longed for but ended up not living with. Here in the first, uh, in first Kings 3, God appears to Solomon in a dream. And dreams in the Old Testament are signs of divine encounters. We think of them maybe, you know, mainly as psychological disruption or digestive tract problems that we're having this dream because we ate Marco's pizza every Sunday night for the last 20 years. Um, not, not quite 20, but I'm working on it. I'm trying to get there. I've got a goal and I, I'm going for it. But we think of dreams in all kinds of ways. But in the Old Testament, think of dreams as encounters with God, as encounters with the divine. And in this dream, Yahweh says to Solomon, God says to him, ask for whatever you want. I want that dream. (laughs) A moment where God shows up and says, just ask. Can you imagine God appearing to you, God showing up in your life and just saying, ask for whatever you want. What would you ask for? What do you think the first thing out of your mind would be? What would be the first thing out of your heart that you would ask for? Besides a World Series win for the twins, I'm not sure, like, what the next thing would be that would ask. But Solomon, in this moment, he stops and he acknowledges God's faithfulness to David. And then he humbly acknowledges his own lack He knows that here he is as a new king, a young king who lacks experience, who lacks knowledge. And in a moment of humility, he says this in 1 Kings 3, 9. Please give your servant a discerning mind. I'm going to come back to that phrase. Please give your servant a discerning mind in order to govern your people and to distinguish good from evil because no one is able to govern this important people of yours without help. What the translation says is a discerning mind. The original language says a listening heart. Solomon asks for a heart that hears, a heart that listens, so that he might govern, that he might administer justice for God's people, and that he would understand and know the difference between good and evil. And it pleased God that Solomon asked for this. And so God gives him wisdom, and he's pleased that he did not ask for long life or wealth or victory over his enemy. He gives him what he asked for, but then he gives him more. He also gives him wealth and fame. And immediately what happens in the text is we're introduced to another tension in Solomon's life, another contradiction. A tension will emerge in the text between what Solomon receives from God and what he takes from others. Because wisdom can result 
and wealth and fame. Wisdom can lead to influence. Wisdom can lead to many things that we look at and say that are flourishing, but not always. The scriptures say the greatest display of wisdom was the cross of Jesus, which was suffering and death. It didn't look like flourishing. But wisdom, or but wealth and fame and power can also come from evil. Just because there's wealth and fame and power and prosperity doesn't mean those things have come from following the wisdom and the way and the will of God. Just ask Bernie Madoff. There are ways that we can go about doing evil things in the world and find flourishing, if you will. But what you find in this text is to be wise, is to distinguish and to do what is good for others. To be wise is to distinguish good and evil and to do what is good for others, not just for ourselves. To do what is good for others. Often when we think about wisdom, when we talk about things that are wise, we think of wise decisions as decisions that primarily benefit us. This was a wise investment. This was a wise call. This was a wise move. This was a savvy business decision. We think of wisdom as the things that benefit us financially or vocationally or relationally. But the wisdom Solomon seeks is closely related to the justice for others. He's looking for wisdom that leads to the flourishing of a community, not just an individual. He wants everyone to flourish, everyone to thrive. This is the goal of wisdom, is the flourishing of all humanity, not just of individuals, but individuals in community. And that requires a distinction between what is good and what is evil. Wisdom in the scriptures, the primary category of wisdom is good and evil, not effective and ineffective, not practical and impractical not what grows this faster than if this would grow if we took this way. The primary category is about good and evil. And in the scriptures, this is not a distinction that we create. We do not have the, the ability to distinguish good and evil in ourselves. This is a distinction we receive from a listening heart, from a heart that hears that receives God's distinction about what is good and what is evil, and then seeks to do what is good for others. Solomon asks God for wisdom, and God gives it to him. James says it's the very nature of God to give wisdom without hesitation. Wisdom comes from God, and he freely and generously gives it to everyone that would ask. And to be wise is to have a heart that hears a heart that hears, a heart that's attuned, that's listening to the very voice of God. Solomon asks to hear, to be attuned, to be receptive to the voice and wisdom and understanding of God. At the center of the Old Testament faith is a call to listen. Perhaps the most important verse in the Old Testament for the people of Jewish faith says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Hear, listen, be attuned to his voice. We're called to be a people who hear the God who speaks, who speaks in the scripture, who speaks by the spirit, who speaks through the saints and invites us as his people to learn to listen, to become listeners in order to become wise. 
The invitation of wisdom is to humble ourselves, to quiet ourselves, to be near and close to Jesus in the places that Jesus promises to be with us, that we might hear his voice. Wisdom begins with a heart that hears, that longs to hear the voice of God and spends a lifetime learning how to tune our hearts into his, to hear his voice and to learn his ways. And the signs that we hear, the signs that we are attuned, the signs that we are receptive to the very voice of God are seen not in what we know, but the signs are seen in how we live. We listen to the voice of God, not simply to learn things, but to live. We listen not simply to learn, but to learn how to live rightly. The word for listen in Hebrew is also means obey. The words are the same word to listen, to hear, to obey. Jesus gets this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It says the wise person is the one who hears his words and does them. It's this hearing and doing, listening and living that leads to peace. It leads to our hearts being sewn together with God. It leads to that wholehearted life that we're all looking for, a heart that's been knit together with the very heart of God. And this is ultimately where Solomon fails. He listens, he learns, he writes, he repeats, he shares God's wisdom far and wide. He shares it with everyone from the queen of Sheba to us. We're continuing to read the wisdom of Solomon over and over and over again throughout the millennia. And yet, at the end of his life, his heart is turned. It becomes untuned. His heart becomes unwhole. A heart that hears is a heart that's beginning to become wise, but that hearing must be translated into living. We must be people that are always asking, what is God saying and how is he helping us to live in those ways in our worlds? The wise heart is a heart that hears. That's the first vivid image that we get. The second image comes later on in 1 Kings chapter 4. It's a similar passage to the one that we just read, but we get a different description of Solomon's heart here. 1 Kings 4, 29 says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and very great understanding, insight as long as the seashore itself. This is an unfortunate translation because in the original language it says that God gave Solomon a wide hearts, a heart like the sand on the shore of the sea. And then it goes on, it says, Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and 1,005 songs. Those extra five had to get included in there. And he described the botany of trees, whether the cedar in Lebanon or the hyssop that grows out of the wall. And he also described cattle and birds and anything that crawls on the ground and fish. You have to include that in there. What we find here is that wisdom encompasses everything from songs to science. Wisdom embraces it all. 
To be wise is not only to have a listening heart, but to be wise is to also have a heart that is wide. A heart that is wide and open and curious about all of life. A heart that's not just concerned about a narrow part of it or thinks that God only cares about this part of it. A heart that restricts God's wisdom, says, well, God cares about these things over here and he might have something to say about this. No, a wide heart that says the whole world is the Lord's and everything in it and God's wisdom speaks into every aspect of humanity. The wisdom of God is wise. The whole earth it encompasses. His wisdom reaches into every arena and to every aspect of human life and every emotion that we experience. There is God's wisdom for marriage and for singleness. There's God's wisdom for parenting and when we go through tragedy. There's God's wisdom for roommates and spouses and kids and coworkers and finances and careers. There's wisdom for architects and builders and craftspeople and cooks and medicine and education and business. There's wisdom when we go through heartbreak. There's wisdom when we experience joy. There's wisdom for our finances. There's wisdom for our family. There is wisdom for everything that we encounter and experience as people. And we learn wisdom by being observers and learners of everything that's around us, of having wise hearts. This is why wisdom in the Old Testament is akin to learning a craft. It's less like trivia and more like a trade. Wisdom is an art form. The wisdom of God is not for us to pass a Bible class. The wisdom of God is, of God is for us to learn to live well. Eugene Peterson put it this way. He says, wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever actual conditions we find ourselves. Where do you find yourself today? What are you facing today? At home, at work, in your relationships, in your life with God, in moments of quiet, in the places of your life that no one knows about, in the, in the things that are present and known to everyone, and in the very secrets of our soul. What are you facing? What are you dealing with? What are you going through? There is wisdom of God for that. There is wisdom for everything that we're going to experience and the wisdom of God encompasses our whole lives. The wise heart is a wide heart. It's filled with wonder. It longs to grasp life in all of its breath and all of its depth that we might learn to live well, not just in the moment, but we might live, we might learn to live well to the very end of our days. That our life would not end like Solomon's. We would end our lives with a whole hearts. Hearts that are continually turned toward God and hearts that have found their wholeness. Hearts that have found their peace with him. It's this kind of wonder, this kind of wideness that I believe will always draw us back to Jesus because Jesus is God's wisdom and it will always draw us back to the cross. The cross is God's wisdom that will forever be beyond our understanding. It's a wisdom that the New Testament describes as a mystery, that we get to spend our whole lives swimming in the depths of it, always beholding something new, something wondrous, something beautiful, something that we didn't see or know or understand 
before or something that we understand in a new or deeper or more beautiful way than we ever thought possible. As we come to the table, as we come to Jesus, we come to the Lord of wisdom and we ask, just as James and Solomon said, we ask for wisdom. And we trust that God says, whenever you ask for wisdom, he will give it to us. And because he himself is wisdom, we come to the table trusting that Jesus is gonna give all of himself to all of us, all of the time. God, who generously gives wisdom, give us your wisdom. Give us yourself here today at the table. I'm glad we got that moment to sit and to ask God to continue to give us his wisdom. As we come to the table today, this is Jesus' table. This is the place where Jesus made himself known in the fullest way as he prepared to head to the cross. And all who believe that Jesus is the true king are welcome here to receive, regardless of your church affiliation or your background. And if it doesn't describe you that you're following Jesus with all you have, we're glad you're here. We're glad that you came. And we're honored that you're exploring your curiosities with us. We encourage you to keep doing that, to keep seeking wisdom out with us here at New Life Downtown or around the city. And if you are ready to begin to follow Jesus, we invite you to join with us as we pray this prayer of confession. As we confess our sin and ask for forgiveness, trusting Jesus for our salvation. Let's pray together. Most merciful God. We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And it is my joy to announce this good news to you. Words that are true, not just because we say them every week we come to this moment, but because of what God has done. So would you open your hands and receive again the mercy of God? That Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. This proves God's love toward us. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. As those who have been raised to new life with Jesus Christ, would you stand and greet those around you to share the peace you have in him?
Let us join in on these proclamations together. Jesus is here. His spirit is with us. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Let's praise him together. Lord, it is a good and joyful thing to give thanks to you, Father Almighty. For you formed us in your image. You breathed your life into us. When our love failed, when our love continues to fail, when we cease to be wise, your love remains steadfast. When we are unfaithful, you sent your son to be faithful on our behalf. And it's in this we remember that on the night that Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, he took the bread, and when he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. It's given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine. When he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of your mighty acts in Christ Jesus, we proclaim the mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. As we come to the table as a place to remember and encounter the Spirit afresh, Let's sing this prayer, asking the Spirit to meet us here this morning. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Friends, these are the gifts of God. They're given for us, the people of God. Receive them in remembrance that Jesus died for you and feed on him by your hearts in faith and with thanksgiving. So as our servers come forward and get into position, if this is your first time here, we invite you to simply follow along with those around you. Long and short of it, we all exit to the left, come forward, take communion together. If you need help, ask someone beside you to bring elements back to you. And if you're someone who needs some more detail, there's a QR code where you can get more of the information about how and why we take communion the way we do. Let's worship together in this moment, continuing to sing and praise the Lord and seek his wisdom here in this space.
Whose love endures 
So with that, we sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, As we're sent from here today, a couple quick announcements. If you're newer to New Life Downtown or you've never had the chance to go, New Life Next is today at the Commons. It's 332 North Tejon, just on Boulder Street, head west one block. We'd hope to see you there for lunch and conversation with our pastors. And if you've never had the opportunity to be baptized, we're going to have water baptisms here in this orchestra pit at Palmer High School just one week from today. If you'd like to sign up for that, come and meet me out in the lobby. We have a sign-up sheet or a QR code you can sign for that. So we hope to see you there and hope that the baptism waters are full and stirred at this church next Sunday. Would you open your hands and receive this blessing today as we head into the city, into our workplaces, into our homes. Would the Lord bless you and would he keep you? Would he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you? Would he turn his face toward you? and bring you peace. Go in that peace to love and serve the Lord this week. We'll see you around the city and hopefully back here next Sunday. Amen.